0: Let's uh, read through John chapter 11, and then we'll, uh, we'll walk through it here. It's a very important passage for obvious reasons, one of which just uh, is that it's a very thorough, gives us a fairly thorough understanding of, not only of resurrection or the idea of resurrection of the last day, but of the um, uh, present life of those who have uh, who've died right i think that's an important thing to remember because they had a concept of resurrection at the end of things the um that and they they even addressed that with jesus um i i know that he will be you know raised uh, at the last day right like that that sort of thing um but jesus wants to clarify their understanding by saying i am the resurrection and the life by making it bigger than just they're dead now one day they'll be alive again rather they're still alive now even though outside the body (laughs) in that sense they're still alive now and i think that's an important thing to clarify there is a coming (laughs) resurrection uh that has not passed that was an important point of paul's writing in the uh in his first letter to the thessalonians uh, we'll maybe glance at that a little bit. In the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks a lot about what resurrection looks like um, in the Christian sense. Uh, Paul lays out a lot of information about the resurrection there. So let's read John 11, um, <clears throat> beginning in verse 1, and then we'll um, kind of march through this. <clears throat> Look at that. It worked. <laughs> now, a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany, uh, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. (laughs) Then then after this, he said said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in, in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But... If one walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. (laughs) So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for days. Not he'd been in the tomb for days. He'd been in the tomb for days. Days, I mean, yeah, for days, but four days specifically, right? (laughs) He'd been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, "'Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died.' But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha Martha said to him, I know that, that, uh, that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And when, when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She's going to the tomb to weep there. Then, when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping... He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench for he's, he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was, laying, was lying. And Jesus, Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I, I thank you that you've heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that, that they may believe that you sent me. No, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, grave cloths, (laughs) and his, his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus, Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews who had come who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man this man works works many signs. If we if we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. He's a very nice fellow. <laughs> Nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he uh, this he did not say on his own or on his own authority. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for that nation only but also that he would gather together in one the children of god who were scattered abroad then from that day on they plotted to put him to death therefore jesus no longer walked openly among the jews but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called ephraim and there remained with his with his disciples and the passover of the jews was near and many went from the country up to jerusalem before the passover to purify themselves then they sought jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple what do you think that he will not come to the feast now both the chief priests and the pharisees had given a command that if if anyone knew where he was he should report it that they might that they might seize him that they might arrest him right all right, you guys. Let's um, pray really quickly, and then we'll uh, we'll jump back into verse one here in John eleven. Father, I want <sighs> Father. It's you that we need. And I pray that even in Um even in this maybe not not glorious looking place, I rejoice that you are present with us, yes. and that you've given us the promise of your spirit, whereby we know and are sure assured that you are ever present with us. Father, I don't think there's any way around it. For me, for us, for the, the rest of those in the world who are alive, when we see death, it looks so final. an interruption to life, where every plan is canceled and everything else stops. And while we see through a glass dimly, Lord, I know that we don't see everything clearly yet. (laughs) I pray that you'd give us the comfort of hope. that we would be men and women who have great confidence in you and in what you've done and in what you are doing even beyond a veil that we can't see past lord and so and so father i'm reminded like uh, you said to habakkuk <clears throat> when you told him after all of his questions and before them to write the vision down to make it plain so that he who reads it may run the just shall live by his faith. There's no way around it, Lord. When it comes to death and resurrection and the eternal state Past the grave. We must see it with eyes of faith. We have to believe you. Um, (laughs) I know there really is no other hope that anyone else has. (laughs) And so we put our confidence in you, Jesus, the risen king. And in the promises of our great father, sovereign king over everything. Lord, teach us to depend on you, not just in that final thing one day, but because we can depend on you for that and in that, Lord, how much more ought we be able to depend on you moment by moment in this present circumstance in which we find ourselves, whether in sickness, or in health or, or whether in, in trouble in our finances or marriages or jobs or whether in joy and in abundance in those things. Lord, let us find ourselves moment by moment, depending, trusting, rejoicing, giving thanks because you're a good God and we live in a world that is full of chaos and somehow you are able to redeem and to, to, to purchase back and to preserve and it is remarkable that you, would do, that you would do all of this when you didn't even need to. <laughs> you don't have to do any of this. But you've delighted to show yourself strong in the weak. And so my prayer is not so much that we would be strong, but rather that we would embrace our weakness knowing that you are strong. You are stronger than anything else we could ever imagine, and you meet all of our needs. Lord, teach us to trust you, I pray. Please do it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Right, you guys, let's jump in here in uh, John chapter 11. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. I grew up with somebody, I don't think he had a lisp, but every time he said Lazarus, he said Lazarus. <laughs> so, like, I don't know if it was a holdover from the King James Bible that he was using either, because there's lots of thee and thou and thine and all of that in there as well, so... Anyways, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And we'll find out Bethany is only about two miles, it says. Uh, the actual measurement is 15 stadia. Uh, but it's about two miles from the city of Jerusalem. If you guys are looking at a map, this uh, think of uh, this thin little sliver of land, that's Israel. Uh, you have Jerusalem here, and then you have a, a valley that goes down next to the city of Jerusalem on the east side, that's the Kidron Valley. Uh, there used to be a, a brook that ran through it, the brook Kidron, but it's been dried up for many years now. Um, and then the other side of that goes up another mountainside, that's where the Mount of Olives is. And... Uh, on the other side of the Mount of Olives, right over here on the east side of the city of Jerusalem, about two miles away, are, is where these cities are located, Bethany and Bethphage, uh right around in that area. And when Jesus traveled to Jerusalem, frequently they would stay in Bethany, and then they would travel to Jerusalem when they wanted to go to the festivals. Remember, there are three feasts in the year that all of the men were required to go to uh, Jerusalem. If they were able to, they were required to go and make an offering and uh, we see Jesus doing those things. Uh, the last one that we noted in the text here was the Feast of Dedication, which is not one of the required feasts, but Jesus was down in Jerusalem for the Feast of Dedication. You and I know that as Hanukkah, uh, but they celebrated it back then as well. Uh, obviously, it's actually closer to the events of of uh, uh, that Hanukkah celebrating. Uh, but uh, that was in the winter time. Now we're coming back around here to where we're getting back to the spring festival of Passover, which is one of the required feasts. Okay, and of course, particular thing that's going to happen, <laughs> uh, particular sacrifice. Okay. So um, Lazarus was of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Martha who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. This is John giving us this parenthetical commentary so that we know particularly who it is that he's speaking of, that particular Mary, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Um, I like that that's the way that they refer to Lazarus. He whom you love is sick. (laughs) Um, I don't know that there's any, any... desire of them to manipulate jesus by using that kind of flowery language you know like like you really love him he's sick lord <laughs> you know like i don't know if that's the case or not i know human nature my own nature <laughs> i know it's easy to use turns of phrases to try to get people to the place we want them to be you know so um yeah we usually call that manipulation <laughs> But either way, I love that that's how, they, that's how they refer to their brother. Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, um, verse 4, he said, uh, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Uh, this, that particular line bothered me for a long time, right? Because what's going to happen? He's going to die. Right. And so the fact that Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death, um, really bothered me. Cause so I was like, wait a minute. He dies like after this, you know, like this, the report comes that he's, that he's actually dead, you know, and Jesus knows that he's, that he's going to uh, be dead that he dies, rather. So it really bothered me. Uh, I I think that it made more sense to me whenever I linked the idea of him saying this sickness is not unto death, sort of the idea of saying that the end result of what he's going through right now is not going to be his death, right? Obviously, eventually he's going to die. um, And um, even though he died temporarily, (laughs) because of what Jesus is going to do here, uh, this sickness does not end and finally in his death. And I think that 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 itself is foreshadowing the greater point of the resurrection. This is a more of what, I I like to use the word resuscitation here. I know that, um, and, and the idea, the reason why I want to use that is to distinguish what happens with Lazarus from the resurrection, right? There is a resurrection that is planned, something that uh, is referred to numerous times throughout the scriptures where the dead are raised okay uh, and, and there 's a couple different parts to that right um, we 'll talk more about that as we get into paul 's writings uh, later um, but I think it 's important to note that while Lazarus was raised at this point um, there 's no indication that he didn't that he didn 't die again <laughs> that he didn 't eventually die, and then he will eventually become i think uh, part of the Resurrection right in in that sense, uh, when, as Paul says in first Thessalonians we'll get there um, at the coming of the Lord, um, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those who are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet them in the air, and we will we will always be with the Lord. Um, that's the sort of the, the glorious hope that Paul keeps pointing people toward. As much as we seem to want to see present healing from sickness and pain and suffering, and we do because we love the people around us, we care about them, one of the things that I try to caution us about is the, just to remind us that all of those things are all temporary. All of our present healings are all temporary. While wonderful, when, when the Lord does uh, maybe answer a prayer for healing, wonderful and comforting, um, is still temporary, right everybody that's ever been healed of any particular illness or sickness has died <laughs> okay like at some point right they've died uh, except for uh maybe if we want to go there there's a couple of people that 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 weren't um Enoch and Elijah we'll, we can talk about those dudes later on but uh, uh Enoch in Genesis 5 uh he was he, he walked with the Lord, and he was not, for God took him. It's like this mysterious, like <laughs> what, <laughs> you know? And then Elijah, who was carried away in this fiery chariot and whirlwind thing, and his mantle falls on Elisha, you know. Anyways, we can talk a lot more about that at other times. <laughs> um, <laughs> This sickness is not unto death, Jesus said, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Do you remember the man who was born blind? The question I was asked was, Lord, why was this man born blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin that he was born blind? They had a misunderstanding about the sort of the immediate consequences of sin. Um their understanding was that seems to be that uh, if this man was born blind, either he sinned maybe while in the womb, and so he was born blind, and then <laughs> I've never been pregnant, but I've heard babies can be a little rough sometimes in the womb. <laughs> you know, I don't know. They're like, "Sin, I'm going to kick you, mom." You know, whatever. Um, I I don't know. <laughs> um, there there was apparently some of that theology where there was the idea that a, a baby could could actually sin against their their mom maybe in the womb which is itself fascinating because that is a reminder of of life before birth and all of that not that not that that really even needs to be a thing it's so obvious but um Anyway, so they were confused about that. Jesus said, no, it wasn't either of those things, but this man was born blind so that the glory of God would be revealed in him because God was going to do something through that man's life. And it happened. I don't know how old he was. Imagine if you were born blind and, then, and you lived 30 years blind for this one moment that God had ordained where Jesus heals you and you become a testimony to the nation of Israel that Jesus really is their Messiah. And then I think, Lord, am I willing to embrace something like that, like some illness or some, some frailty in my own life to allow you to do that? Not that I get a choice, but <laughs> in that sense, right? It's not like he chose that, right? He didn't choose to be, to be born blind. Um, but then I think, is it, is it worth it? You know, um, these are questions that I, I ask myself. And I wasn't born blind. <laughs> so, um, anyways, uh, this sickness is not unto death, but in, unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Uh, he makes it clear that this whole situation is about God's glory. <sighs> I I want to trust that more about my own circumstances. That God is at work in them, sometimes in ways that I don't fully understand and I don't always see. I mentioned earlier that that phrase that Paul uses, that we see through a glass dimly or darkly. You know, uh, We don't see everything as it is. There's a lot I don't know, and frankly a lot I can't know. And so I'm either going to try to judge everything based on the limited information I have, and so, therefore, find probably most of the time wrong judgments about things, or I'm going to uh, learn that I can trust God as I observe him, as I see him in the scriptures. I'm going to learn that I can trust him and that he's good and he's faithful and he ordains and he works in ways that um, that I just I don't always understand. <clears throat> and the end result really is, uh, is where I find myself, whether I find myself... Um, living at rest in that. Um, The idea of Sabbath or peace or rest, uh, or whether I find myself um, consumed with anxieties maybe that I don't need to have. You know, I have lots of anxieties. (laughs) Um, And the Lord is teaching me to depend on Him more and more and more. Now... Uh, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that he was sick, this is not the response I (laughs) I wanted. (laughs) Jesus loved them and he heard that Lazarus was sick. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, obviously, he dropped everything and went to go help Lazarus to make him better because he loved him. Right? Like, that's how we, that's kind of the assumption I think that we make about things, right? So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. What? (laughs) What is that about? (laughs) Um... Then after this, he said to the disciples, "Let us go to Judea again." <laughs> Remember, they had they they had left the uh, the winter festival of the dedication, the Feast of Dedication, before, and he had had a confrontation there, and they had tried to kill him again, or tried to arrest him again. This was happening regularly when they traveled to Jerusalem, and the disciples are aware of this, so they're like, and they're gonna sort of ask, like, you know, Lord, they've been trying to kill you. <laughs> you know, like, you sure? But when he heard that Lazarus was sick, Lazarus whom he loved, he stayed two more days. One of the things that has fascinated me as we've gone through John's gospel is this awareness that John seems to have of, of, of God's patterning, of God's order, of God being con- in control of things. And of God's timing, and that's really hard for me because when I want something, I want it now. And I've, I mean, we've very well conditioned ourselves to be this way, right? Everything, everything instantly, instant gratification for everything. Um, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. This is a reminder, by the way, of sort of a warning maybe whenever somebody says, as, as you know, I think most of us probably know this by now, but just want to make sure we're clear, that uh, when somebody tries to get you to do what they want and they question whether or not you love them, if you don't do it on their schedule, you know, like Jesus is like, I, he loves them, but he's still not doing what they want in their timing right that that would be manipulation, right, to try and use that as some sort of well, he's not doing what we want, so you obviously don't love us, right He does love them right? <clears throat> well, Verse seven says then, after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again?" Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This seems to be a statement about Jesus uh, relying on God's authority, on God's leadership. Jesus is just doing what the Father has shown him to do. He's walking in the light. And so he's not worried about it. Their question is, are you sure you want to go back to back there cuz they wanted to kill you and Jesus is like somebody else is in charge is kind of what he's saying here S- somebody else is in control of this so he's not worried about them trying to stone him um Verse 11 says, these things he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him. And I love this almost innocence of the disciples here, or just where, like, this is, they're just missing the point, right? Jesus says, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well, right? Because it's like, that's conventional wisdom, right? You feel bad? go Go lay down in bed. Go get some rest. You know, you'll get better, you know? That's, that's a normal sort of response, right? Oh, he's sick? Oh, he should he should sleep. Oh, he's sleeping? Good, good. He'll get better, you know. That's the way they respond to it. Very normal uh sort of response. However, Jesus spoke of his death. Uh John, John clarifies for us. Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> like he just makes it very clear. Yes. He used this phrase, he is sleeping, right? But I go that I may wake him up. Now, this becomes, for the Apostle Paul, this actually becomes the way that he refers to Christians who've died. He says they've fallen asleep. And I think that it's from Jesus' teaching that Paul develops that sort of idea, because one of the benefits of that is that it gets us... It almost pushes us past the idea of the finality of death, right? Because death looks so final. When you die, you're done. That's it. You're, the particles disintegrate eventually, and you're nothing, right? In a material world with a material girl. Sorry, it's a bad reference. Uh, in a in a completely naturalistic material worldview, that is all that you are. You are just particulate matter, somehow enlivened with electricity. Uh, to have a conscience and reason, <laughs> things that are, are just, it's, it's, somebody's like, oh, you Christians just believe stuff by faith. I'm like, have you asked scientists yet? <laughs> like, cause, cause that's faith too. <laughs> the only question is, in what are we placing our trust? Not whether or not we're be- believing things by faith, but in what are we placing our trust? That's the only real question. Um, <clears throat> So when Jesus uses this sort of language, what it does for me is it helps me to move past that instant finality that death brings. Because you and I who've experienced death seems pretty final, doesn't it? Because we don't get to see them anymore, hear their voice, speak to them spend time with them. It seems so final. But Jesus said, just sleeping. and, And I'm going that I may wake him. Oh, and not just Lazarus. It's bigger than that. He's teaching us more than that, obviously. Our friend Lazarus sleeps. He said, I go that I may wake him. He said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, because they're like, oh good, he's, he's resting, he'll get better. So Jesus is like, listen dudes, he's dead bro, he's, he's dead guys. <laughs> like, he just wants to make sure it's clear, obviously. So verse 15 continues, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Also not something I really expected Jesus to say, I am glad that I was not there. What? That you may believe. See, because if he had been there, what if he had healed him of the illness and he hadn't died? Then this whole thing would have been a very different sort of demonstration. And it would have, it seems, shown us a lot less about life beyond the grave because Lazarus would not have passed through that. And you wondered about when he didn't answer your prayers the way you thought he would. (laughs) I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him let's go. He's made it clear that Lazarus is dead. He says, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you'll believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin or Thomas Didymus, uh, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him, right? Because they knew the Jews were trying to plot against him to stone Jesus to kill him. And they're like, all right, we're just going to all go and die. (laughs) He's just sort of throwing his hands in the air, like we'll just go and die then. Uh, so, verse 17 continues, when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Remember? Number four <laughs> days. Yes, it had been for days, but specifically four days. I like the, this is one of the times I like the King James later on where it says they rolled the, they asked him about it and, and they were like, uh, he stinketh. <laughs> <laughs> He's been in the tomb four days. He stinketh. <laughs> you know. I mean, I suppose so. Uh, he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, as we talked about earlier, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. So he'd been in the tomb four days now. Uh, there's a, a group of people around them to comfort them about their brother who's died now. Verse 20, then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Um, Verse 22. But now, even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. A couple of things I want to mention here about about, um, Martha's statements. The first one is this. She believes that Jesus has the ability to heal um, Lazarus of the sickness that he had right if you had been here he would not have died and confident that jesus would have preserved him would have kept him from dying but the question i always have is again sort of bring us back to this i'm a realist in a lot of ways so bring us back to this like if jesus had healed him this time like did, did they think that he would always just keep healing him and that lazarus would just live forever because jesus would always be there to heal him right or where they didn't understand that at some point he was still going to die see because what jesus is bringing us the hope that he's bringing us is bigger than just a temporary healing or a temporary change of whatever circumstance it is that's causing us discomfort or trouble the hope that jesus gives is is beyond a immediate fix to our present circumstances and i think it's really really important that we remember that because sometimes we get very we pigeonhole things a lot based on our the immediacy of whatever it is that we think we need right now and we forget we forget sometimes there's bigger stuff happening <clears throat> so She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She was confident that Jesus would have been able to heal him and would have been able to keep him from dying. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Now, that is an incredible statement of faith that she has. Um, There are a couple of instances with Elijah and then Elisha where where someone was resuscitated in that sense, brought back from the dead, and she's confident, it seems, that Jesus is able to do this. This is the kind of faith that Paul refers to about uh, Abraham having when he was told to go offer his son Isaac, because God said the promises were coming through Isaac, (laughs) and also go kill Isaac, right? So, like, how do you balance that, Abraham? So, it seems that Abraham's confidence was that God would be able to raise raise his son Isaac from the dead if he had followed through with that. God obviously stopped him. He wasn't interested in that sort of thing. Child sacrifice was something that um, the, um, the the uh, false gods had demanded of their worship, and so it certainly wasn't something that he was requiring of them. Uh, but it was a test that Abraham um, persevered through. Um, we could talk a lot more about that another time. It's very interesting, but... Uh, uh, either way, <clears throat> even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you verse twenty three Jesus said to her, "Your brother will rise again." Martha said to him, "I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, this is a statement about their uh, about the their commonly held theology about resurrection, that there would be the last day, this sort of statement uh, dealing with the idea of the end times or the end of all things. The last day, there would be a resurrection of the dead. Uh, This was something promised in a number of places throughout the Old Testament scriptures. One of the clearest places that I found is Daniel 12, 12, uh, right there at the uh, one and two, um, where uh, the Lord says that there will be a resurrection of uh, the just um, some to everlasting joy, and uh, others to everlasting contempt and shame. So there will be a resurrection. Um, it's very specifically referred to there in Daniel chapter 12. But there are numerous other places in the Old Testament, and even foreshadowing of things like resurrection. Okay, In a, a lot of the sacrifices, I think of the sacrifice of uh, that was required when somebody was healed of leprosy. It was an incredible foreshadowing of resurrection itself among others. That's in Leviticus 13 and 14, if I remember correctly. So, um, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then that, that last question, that is just hard, right? Because Jesus is kind of, I say, interrupting a funeral. It's not like he's right in a funeral procession, but Lazarus has been dead four days. They're mourning mourning Lazarus' death still. And Jesus comes on and he's like, I am the resurrection and the life. And anybody who's alive and believes in me, even though he dies, he's still alive. Do you understand that one of the purposes of Jesus raising Lazarus or resuscitating Lazarus was to demonstrate to them that the man that they loved, Lazarus, their brother, that he was still alive. How else could he put him back in his body? <laughs> He's still alive. And, and we could go into, um, into the doctrines or ideas related to um, the fact that we are um, souls in a body, Right. This is a tent, a temporary living place. <clears throat> we are not only made of the. We are not only the particles from which our bodies are made. We're more than that. Um, if you haven't noticed yet, there's a reason why we are very different than every other part of the animal kingdom and every other part of creation. I don't know if you guys have noticed that yet. You guys noticed? Humans are a little bit different than every other living thing. I don't know if you guys have noticed that. It's just a, you know, it's a thing, so. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? See, because if Lazarus was really dead, dead, then there'd be no bringing him back into this body to raise him at this point, to resuscitate his body, to bring it out of the grave. There'd be no doing that if Lazarus was dead, dead. Dead. (laughs) you know, to distinguish from just being dead. (laughs) Right. (laughs) She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who is to come into the world. Fascinating thing is that she's like, my confidence is in you. And I think this is so precious and so sweet and so important for us. Because there's a lot of people questioning a lot of things about the Bible these days, the big social media frenzy, lots of deconstruction and lots of other stuff, whatever. At the end of the day, I just keep coming back to Jesus, man. <laughs> it's him. It's him. And when I read through the Old Testament and I'm confused about some of the commands and about what's happening and all of that stuff, I just keep coming back to Jesus. <laughs> and I, say, Lord, I see through a glass darkly. I don't understand everything. <laughs> But I see Jesus as he's revealed himself through the writings of those uh, of those who were around him. She said to him, "Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, the Son of God who is to come into the world, and at the end of the day, that's really the top and the bottom of this whole thing. This is what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus <laughs> 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 this is what it means to follow Jesus it means to um, to be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus so um, when it comes to death and it comes to the resurrection, it comes to whether or not my Um, the people whom I love, who trusted in the Lord themselves, whether or not they are alive right now. Not just one day in the future. We think oftentimes of that one day in the future. One day we'll see the person that we loved who also trusted Jesus. One day we'll see them at the resurrection. Yes. But it's bigger than that. They're alive now. Yes, Lord, I believe that You are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And that phrase, "Who is to come into the world," that is, "Who is to come?" Why is it in the future tense? See, because she, she, this is the statement about the really about the second coming of Jesus, about His return. Something that's laid out much more throughout the scriptures. And the promise associated with that really is the fullness of this idea of resurrection. It's the completion of it. Not just resurrection for us and our bodies that have decayed into the little particles from which everything is made. uh, Where God takes them and makes them new. Makes us a new body. I go to prepare a place for you. He said, we'll get there. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. That's in John fourteen. Is true. Um, let's finish up real really quickly here. Cause I, I do want to read to you the First Thessalonians and First Corinthians fifteen a little bit from those passages. I just think they're really helpful. So, and when when she had said these things, she. She went away and secretly called Mary her sister, saying, "The teacher has come and is calling for you." <laughs> what? <laughs> we don't. We don't have a record of Jesus calling. Her. Martha's like, "Come here, come here, Mary. The, the teacher's here and she's calling for you." Okay. So, uh, saying the teacher has, has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where, uh, where let me change the slide here. It was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house. And comforting her, when they saw Mary, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. So, everybody that's in the house around them sees Mary get up and leave secretly, she thinks is secretly, and they all get up and follow with her. Now, um, verse 32, then, when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, that sounds familiar. It's the same phrase, right, that Martha said to Jesus the first time Martha got to him. I wonder if this is like, if they had talked about this together, you know what I mean? These are sisters probably grieving together about their brother, definitely grieving together about their brother who's died. No doubt this is part of their conversation. If only the Lord had been here, if only Jesus had been here, then he wouldn't have died. You know, no doubt this was part of that grieving process for them as they were um, wondering, maybe wondering why he wasn't there. Been there when he didn't answer your prayer the way you thought or the way you wanted. So maybe they had rehearsed this or talked about it together, and they used the same phrase. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, this is... um, Jesus is a man acquainted with grief. So if you're s- sad, he's not far away. He doesn't misunderstand. Verse 33 says, "When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, all this crying, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled." He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Guys, he knows what he's gonna do. He knows that Lazarus is about to come out of the grave. He he understands all of this. And still it seems that he's he's moved, he's he's touched by their grief. He shares with them in it. He loved Lazarus too. And he said, "Where have you laid him?" They said to him, "Lord, come and see." And then that, as it's been said, the shortest verse in the Bible, just two words: Jesus wept. I've learned that sometimes it's really important for me to cry. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See, see how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? <laughs> There's always going to be people in the midst of grief that are like, Well, something different could have happened. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Just let us cry sometimes. <laughs> could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Yeah, yeah, could have. Even when he's hanging on the cross, like if you're if you're really the Son of God, get yourself down from there. No, because he was the Son of God, he refused to save himself, offering up, giving up his life as a sacrifice to ransom, to rescue sinners. It was precisely because of who he was that he wouldn't do that thing that they were demanding of him or said that he should do to prove himself. This sort of idea of of not having like an axe to grind, of not not having to to prove yourself to everyone is such such an important part of, of getting away from the fear of man and being able to be confident in what God has called you to do and just to walk in that. Because there's going to be critics and people who don't understand and people who don't see and, and people that think you're crazy because you're doing some some strange thing that makes no sense to them in, in a natural uh, view of things. Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Yes, but he didn't. And now he's going to do something that, frankly, is great. It's bigger than that. It's greater than that. Okay? Verse 38, then Jesus again groaning in, in himself came to the tomb, it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time, there's a stink. (laughs) There's a stench. I mean, can you imagine saying this about your loved one? Like, this is their brother. Like, Lord, are you sure? He stinks now. Like, there's a stench. For he's been dead four days number four. <laughs> I don't know why. When you hear it in audio form, you're like, he's been dead for days. Okay. <laughs> he's been dead for number four days. <laughs> um, <clears throat> he's been dead for days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? I don't like those kinds of reprimands from the Lord. I receive them Jason, didn't I tell you to trust me? I know that you were so afraid about that thing, and you had so much anxiety about it. But I, I want you to learn to depend on me, Jason. But Lord, I can't see how it's going to work out. Trust me. But but that's hard because I want to be in control of things. I just want to be in control. <laughs> Because when it fails, if I'm the one in control, I could say, oh, well, at least I know why it didn't work out. Because <laughs> I messed up or because whatever. <clears throat> or maybe i blame it on somebody else if things don't work out. <laughs> More likely that, right? Well, it's somebody else's fault that didn't work out. But if I'm saying the Lord is in control and things don't go the way that I thought, then that means that he's, I've got to either depend on or think that he's still in control or think that he's not. That's a lot, lot scarier concept. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me, and I know that you always hear me. Do you hear that? I thank you that you have heard me, past tense. You've already heard me. To think that this is the only prayer Jesus had prayed about this situation is bonkers, right? Jesus had already been in communion with the Father about what's happening here, right? (laughs) Right? Father, I thank you that, that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this. Now he's praying out loud um, for the benefit of the people that are standing by, um, who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. There's been lots of sermons, teachings using this passage about God giving us new life and about coming to Jesus and about being rescued and about our old grave clothes laying on the floor. And we've, one of the things that sometimes we do as preachers is we sometimes uh, (laughs) try to come up with clever sermons (laughs) because, uh, I don't know, because it's what we're paid for. I don't know. Um, But I sit back at a text like this and I think, does this have anything to do with that? Why is John... What is the point of what's happening here? The the people that would have been reading this at first, what would they have been pulling from this, and and what would they have been seeing in the text here? Um, don't misunderstand me. Yes, Jesus rescues dead sinners and gives us life, right? He he indeed gives us life, not just uh, a temporary life, but eternal life, right? Um, yes, absolutely. He He takes away our grave clothes. Our, <laughs> he, he, he removes our sin from us. Absolutely. Sure, he sets us free, right? We're, we were bound by our sin, and he set, He gives us liberty from our sin so that we no longer have to be slaves to sin, though sometimes we still choose to to sin. <laughs> we no longer have to be slaves to sin. Absolutely, those things are true, and they're taught throughout the New Testament. Absolutely. But does this have anything to do with that? <laughs> I don't know obviously I'm not as skilled as a lot of pastors anyways. So I think for me, seeing more about, about what's being presented to us about death and about life and about the resurrection. That's what, um, when I come to this passage, it seems to me like that's the- what's clearly being presented here by the Lord. What we do, like I mentioned to you, sometimes what we do is we take a narrative passage about some particular thing and then we we add to it spiritualized elements to it to come up with a clever sermon and and while while those other things are true um, I want to look at the text as it is and say, "Lord, what do you?" What are you saying to us here? And I keep coming back to this, this particular text. Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He, he's, he's changing their understanding of, of death itself. And moving it from the, the final hole in the ground to more of a veil that you're passing through. And when he calls Lazarus out of that tomb and has him unwrapped, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the reality that Lazarus is still alive, do you understand that now they're like, oh, he's alive? Because they thought he was dead. They thought it was done. Lazarus is done, guys. It's been four days now, and Jesus is like, mm-mm, he's still alive. Want me to prove it to you? Lazarus, come forth, come out. And death isn't in Jesus' view isn't what you and I see. And I think that's a really heavy and important point. And I, I don't wanna I don't wanna take that lightly. I, I don't know how to say what I'm trying to say. Uh sorry, I'm not better with words. Um, <laughs> This is unbelievable. It's, it's remarkable. And then to hear Jesus say to them, do you believe this? Like earlier on in the text, do you believe this? Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's the thing that, that I'm challenged with as, as I come through this text again. Um, Loose him and let him go, they said. <laughs> I'm sure he was glad for that. Uh, verse 45, then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But um, some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what shall we do for this man works many signs. <laughs> it's fascinating. They called the council together and like, what are we going to do? This guy's working these crazy miracles. They're not saying, what should we do? Should we trust him? <laughs> They're like, no, 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 we got to get rid of this guy. <laughs> you know, He's challenging their assumptions and their authority to be the teachers of Moses' law and the arbiters of truth. He's challenging that. And they're mad. They're, they're frustrated and angry about it and frequently trying to, uh, to uh, plotting to arrest Jesus. And so they're like, what are we going to do? Verse 48, if we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. This is reminds us that yeah. one of the motivating factors of the authority there in Egypt, of the Jewish authority, was the fear of man. They were afraid of what, what the Roman authorities were going to do to them. If there had been another uprising, some of the historical records... Uh, I think some of this is in Josephus' writings, maybe in a couple other places, suggests that if there had been more uprisings in Israel, that Rome would have sent more troops down sooner to sort of quash that because there had already been some uprisings under uh, Pontius Pilate. And so uh, there was concern about that and about what the consequences of that would be. Now, eventually that's going to happen, right? Eventually Titus Vespasian is going to come down uh, with Roman armies. And, uh, and ransack Israel and Jerusalem itself, but um, um, that's in AD 70, um, so it's um, a little bit after this, obviously, so they're concerned about that, though. Verse 49 says this, one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, and we'll get into the issue of two high priests, why they were Annas and Caiaphas and that situation. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit later on in, the, in our study through John. Um, because it wasn't normal. The, there was only supposed to be one high priest who was high priest until he died. And then there was supposed to be a new high priest. That's what Moses had said. But that wasn't what they were practicing uh, at the time. Um, there was some nepotism and other things <laughs> happening uh, that set Caiaphas up. So anyways, being high priest that year said to them, you know nothing at all. He's a friendly guy. You guys are all idiots. That's his response. <laughs> you, know, you guys know nothing at all. Nor do you consider that consider that it is expedient for us, it's good for us, that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Verse 51, I love this so much. Now, this he, he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Remember, Jesus said in John chapter uh, 10, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Right? I'm going to bring them into John or Paul teaches us about this idea of Jew and Gentile being united together in one body called the church. Read the book of um, Colossians, read Ephesians, uh, read Galatians. <laughs> a lot of that stuff is about that, about God uniting together a Jew and Gentile into one blessed body uh, of His called the church. Okay? And this is a reference to that. But one of the things I love about this passage really quickly is that John is like, listen, Caiaphas didn't even understand why he said what he said. But because of the position he held as high priest, he was prophesying. He was speaking the word of God. That's fascinating to me. <laughs> because he was anointed as high priest. God was still speaking through him at that moment. He, he was messed up. He, he made ter- some terrible choices. He was plotting to try to arrest Jesus and kill him. But he was in the position of the high priest. And God still spoke through him. He didn't understand what that meant, right? But he's like, don't you understand that it's better for one man to die for the nation? If we get this guy and deliver him up and and he dies, that's much better than our whole nation getting extinguished, right? Uh, Anyways, and not for that nation only as we read, but also, um, also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Verse 53, then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. So now they're putting together a plot to execute Jesus. Um, And so Jesus is no longer going openly as he had been previously going openly and teaching in the temple during the festivals. Uh, He's no longer doing that at this particular time. And Verse 55 says the Passover of the Jews was near and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought uh, Jesus and spoke among themselves as he stood in the temple. What do you think uh, that he will not come to the feast? Now, both the chief priests and uh, the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it, that they might seize him. So now John is recording for us this way that they're trying to set up Jesus by convincing the people to turn him in if they see him. Um, and they're trying to persuade them. And now they're, and the peop, common people are like, what do you think? You think he's going to really come? to the festival. Remember, remember Passover is one of the required feasts, if you can make it. It's one of the required festivals that Moses said, all of your men shall appear before me for these three festivals. They were Passover, Pentecost, and uh, Sukkoth, or booths. The Feast of Booths or Tabernacles is is sometimes called that. It's also called the Feast of Ingathering. If you're reading through the book of Leviticus, you'll read about the Feast of Ingathering. That is the fall festival. It's a week-long festival. Where they were required to appear before the Lord, and of course the Lord said, "I will dwell between the cherubim in the most holy place." So they were to go to Jerusalem, where the Ark of the Covenant was, um, to appear before the Lord. So now they're asked, they're like, "Do you think he's, you think he's going to come to Passover? Because <laughs> you're supposed to go to Passover. <laughs> so do you think he's really going to show up now that the Jews are trying to execute him?" Anyways, uh, it's late. I want to encourage you to do this. Um, I was going to read through First Corinthians 15. It's long. It's the longest chapter in the book of First Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians 15, and First um, Thessalonians 4, and then 5. So this is your homework. Um, you have John 12 to prepare for next week. Okay, so that's one chapter you can read through that, and then First Corinthians 15. Paul lays out it's it's a lengthy discussion of resurrection and of God's final triumph over death. You guys know that? I think it's Bezos. Jeff is trying to, I guess some company, trying to develop some way to overcome death. (laughs) What? We live in such a weird time. (laughs) Um, Jesus has. The story of Lazarus' resurrection from the dead... Uh, becomes a boon and a comfort for me where I can remember uh, that those whom I love in the Lord, they're not dead. Their body has died, but they are not dead. And that's a very different thing and an important important point to, to navigate, well, the real grief that bodies dying brings. at the end of the day, I'm challenged with whether or not I'm going to believe uh, the Lord or not. I hear Jesus saying, do you believe this? And I'm like, oh, Lord, help. (laughs) Help me to put my trust in you. Help me to depend on you. Um, Because he's asking us to trust him in something that we can't see beyond. I can't see past that veil. I just can't see past it. And so I'm either going to believe what he says about it um, or i 'm going to believe what everybody else that's alive now is saying about it who doesn 't know they don 't know either right they 're alive now they don't they never passed through death they don 't know Jesus has <laughs> he 's gone through the veil of death and returned glorified, and he says that when we see him, we will be like him what <laughs> Okay, we could talk a lot more. <laughs> Let's pray, Father. Thank you for your goodness to us. I pray that you'd help us to embrace the truth of your word. I pray that you would help us in our in in the um, the struggles that we face, and, and help us in our grief, Lord, to uh, to lay our hope in you, to depend on you, and to grieve, to to cry when we need to cry. Uh, because there is, we're not talking about something fake, and the 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 feeling that we have, the the grief of missing someone whom we love, of missing the sound of their voice or the um, the touch of their hands, is real. And while um, the resurrection reminds us that that thing we're missing is temporary, it is still true loss, and it's appropriate to mourn it. Um. But Lord, we want wisdom that we would not mourn as the world mourns. It doesn't know you. That we would not be overcome with our grief. Let that be our prayer. That as we grieve, we would press on, pursuing your kingdom first. As you have not called us home, still we have time to work. So Lord, let us be about your business. In making disciples. And teaching others to depend on you and learning more and more about your care and your love for us, I pray. Lord, give us wisdom that we would not waste the time that we have. It is short. It is so short. God, I pray you bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen amen guys thanks so much for your time i do want the lord to bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you and be gracious with you and lift up his countenance on you and give you peace you guys i appreciate your uh, patience with me this morning and uh and thanks for um, coming and